Hello everyone and welcome back to the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com podcast. This is digital content editor Dan Kadar and I'm joined as always by Brown's beat writer Nate Ulrich. Nate, how are you today? Good Dan, how are you? Very good. On this week's show we're going to go over the latest episode from Hard Knocks. What take away from that? We're going to look ahead to Thursday night's preseason finale which is at 7 o'clock in Detroit. The Browns will play the Lions for the most prestigious trophy in American sports. And then we'll end this week's show by looking ahead to cutdown day and what moves the Browns might be making. Nate, real quick on cutdown day, that is Saturday, correct? Yeah. Every team has to trim its uh, roster down to 53 players before 4 p.m. Saturday. So. 359.59. Got to be done 53. And how soon after that can we see additions being made? Because maybe the Browns would be interested in doing that. Is that immediately after the cutdown deadline? That's uh, noon Sunday when the waivers uh, um, are activated to the extent that teams claim players. Hmm. So you're, you're, in other words, you're. Your awarded players uh, beginning that. Right. And so, as we talked about before uh, on previous uh, podcasts, um, this is a huge um, cut down weekend in the fact that the you know teams are going from 90 to 53. They used to be going from 75 to 53, but they got rid of that uh, cut from 90 to 75. So it all happens in one fell swoop now. The Browns already kind of made a few light moves there. They well, they cut a handful of players that were really inconsequential. The only one that was of note is the kicker, Ross Martin, who's from Solon, went to Walsh Jesuit High School, played for Duke, and was in training camp with the Jets the past two years. Um, he had close kicking competition last year but lost. It was a surprise to the New York media in this one. Um, he was competing with Zane Gonzalez, who obviously struggled at times as a rookie last year for the Browns, went 15 and 20 on field goals. Gonzalez held off Martin, at least for now. Um, Gonzalez is not, is not guaranteed the roster spot because, you know, the Browns could find a, an option they like better uh, on, on the, the waiver wire or be a free agency after this weekend. But at least for now, uh, Zane Gonzalez is on track to, to keep the job he had last year. Yeah, so that that's kind of just a look ahead at, at you know the the timetable for everything here. And again, we'll get more into some roster specifics later on in this week's episode. But Nate, hard knocks. It was a little bit more of the same. We had a little a lot of Nate Orchard, the family man, storylines. A lot of Devin Kajust storylines. Um, George Thomas, our colleague here at the Beacon Journal, recapped everything in his live blog. But your big takeaway from this episode of Hard Knocks was offensive coordinator Todd Haley chewing out Jarvis Landry. Um, what did you think of that exchange? Is that pretty normal? Do you think Todd Haley was just trying to send a message? What's your takeaway from that exchange? I think that's the normal Todd Haley experience, not normal for all coaches. But let's face it, this is why there's friction between Haley and Ben Roethlisberger. He doesn't care how big a star you are, how many Pro Bowls you made, what your contract is. 
he's demanding excellence from all his guys on every rep, on every snap, and I love it. I think he has been the big winner on Hard Knocks this year through four episodes. You can't tell me that there's an owner out there watching this show that doesn't say, hmm, maybe it's time to think of Todd Haley as a head coaching candidate once again. You know, he obviously had the run in Kansas City, successful six years as offensive coordinator of the Steelers uh, the past six seasons, and, and here, we, here he is with the Browns. Um, of course, all Browns fans are going to point to him as the likely interim coach in the event that ownership gives up on Hugh Jackson during the 2018 season. Um, I agree that would be the logical choice if that happens. You know, we're a long way from that right now, but you could see that sequence of events unfolding and not being unfathomable by any stretch. So I think Todd Haley's come across as a tough, no-nonsense coach, has a good sense of humor, and uh, pushes all the buttons of the players that he can push. Doesn't really do it through the media the way Greg Williams does, um, but demands excellence and is hard on guys and uh, isn't afraid to to ruffle some feathers along the way because his job is to get the best out of his players and he doesn't care about being their friends. He wants there to be mutual respect there. But what's most important to him is winning and creating that culture, that expectation when it comes to work ethic uh, that leads to winning. So I think that's what we saw with Jarvis Landry. He wants Jarvis Landry to be the example for the rest of the receiving corps. And for that to happen in Todd Haley's mind, Jarvis Landry has to be giving maximum effort on every single play. Yeah, and I, I really kind of think that the the dynamic between Haley and Landry has been the best kind of from a storytelling standpoint on TV. That's been the best kind of storyline throughout this whole thing. Like there was the segment where he's talking to Landry and saying, "Hey, you got to take Antonio Callaway under your wing, and you know, lead him and, and be the veteran to this rookie." and this week we saw those two, Landry and Callaway, hanging out and working on, you know, Callaway's game in the film room. So it's been fascinating. And I think the other neat part about Haley, from a football standpoint, when he's talking to Landry, after he yells at him and he goes apologizes later, but then he just says, we need one of these guys. And maybe he's referring to Callaway or Rashard Higgins Somebody, I, I just think it's fascinating how you get a little look into how Todd Haley is running the offense. I, I think it's been really neat television, really. Yeah, they do need a guy. And, uh, you know, they need one of the young guys. So they, he knows Jarvis Landry is going to make plays. He knows Josh Gordon if he's available, which is always an if. But right now he is, uh, you know, as soon as his hamstring gets better, uh, you know, he's going to be be there for now and he knows those guys can make plays but you know Antonio Callaway rookie Rashard Higgins you know he's a third year guy made plays at times probably the most improved player on offense in camp but hasn't shown it on a consistent basis on game day like we've said before after Jarvis Landry it's a bunch of question marks and I'm including Josh Gordon in that just because we know that he could leave at any time given his situation mm. anything else from this week's hard knocks that you see worth going over. Um, again, I, I think like last week, it was a little lighter in terms of 
newsworthiness. Um, what else from the episode kind of grabbed your attention? Well, the things I wrote about were what you said, the main takeaway, uh, obviously Jarvis Landry and Todd Haley, but also Josh Gordon kind of coming back and sitting at his locker and looking at Haley's playbook and saying, you know, I missed basically three weeks of training camp and there aren't many new plays in here at all. So I'm confident and feel like I could step into practice right now. You know, he used some more colorful language than that. Uh, but that's basically the gist of it. And I think that's good news because you don't want a guy coming in feeling like he's behind and buried and, and, you know, just the playbook itself because he's trying to come back from a hamstring and has to worry about that. So it's good that he's confident in the playbook and hopefully that carries over for the Browns to the field. Um, Tyrod Taylor, that's a tough guy. Yeah, uh, That really jumped out at me, you know. I don't think all quarterbacks would have demanded to go in that game uh, after they basically landed on their left hand and wrist and bent it in all kinds of awkward ways and had a dislocated pinky. And I talked to Tyrod on Friday, last Friday, um, at an event. He was doing a meet and greet with fans in Cleveland. He was really good about everything he went through and, you know, explaining it. And, you know, he was smiling and kind of laughing at how that pinky did not go back in right away when the doctor tried to pop it back in and how he wished it would have been, you know, more cooperative. And it took a couple tries. And I asked him if he was yelling and he kind of laughed. He was like, well, I wasn't yelling because I was trying to be tough. Well, we saw in hard knocks and maybe he forgot this because it was in the heat of the moment and everything, but he really was yelling right. <laughs> in that medical tent. Yeah. It hurt a lot. I mean, the excruciating pain came through in that scene. Um, and I think that he feels like this is a huge year for him professionally after what he did last year uh, to get the Bills to the playoffs. Uh, obviously, it wasn't all him, but he played a huge part in it. And, and, and they trade him away. And he is motivated by that, and he has admitted that he's motivated by that. And here he is on a, a one year left on his contract with the Browns, knowing that he's playing basically for the rest of the league, you know, when free agency comes around. Because the Browns have drafted the guy they have said repeatedly is the future of their franchise in Baker Mayfield. And there's no doubt, doubt that Taylor feels the presence of Mayfield every second, uh, either consciously or subconsciously, and understands that, you know, if anyone can't really afford to let, you know, a dislocated pinky, uh, you know, keep him out of the action, it's probably the guy with the number one overall pick breathing down his neck. Last thing from Hard Knocks for this week, Nate. Do you have any of the stones like Devin Kajuse does that you hold on to for to find greater power? I'm going to give you a, a no on that, but the funny thing is my daughter, who's four, has this little stone, like rock crystal thing that she's like obsessed with lately and like is playing with all the time. Mm. And that's the first thing I thought of when I saw that scene. Mm. So she's been watching this cartoon on Disney Channel, and there's this episode where, uh, you know, this princess basically is using this magical crystal, uh, and apparently Devin Kajust is into that too. Yeah. Hey, whatever works. I mean, it, it's neat if you if you believe in that stuff. It's great if it works for you. Amazing. Uh, but we'll see with Devin Kajust where things end up. Nate, the Browns got their preseason finale. Again, like I said at the top, the Lions, 7 o'clock in Detroit, playing for the 
very large barge trophy, the Great Lakes Cup trophy. Um, it, it's a meaningless game because the starters are barely going to play Nate, but am I wrong? Are we going to get Kevin Zeitler action for the first time this preseason? You are not wrong. We're going to get Kevin Zeitler. We're going to get Austin Corbett, so you have both your starting guards. Does that excite you guard fans out there? Sure. Going to get Antonio Callaway coming off a groin injury. You're going to get Baker Mayfield about the first half. So just when you think there's no reason to really watch this game, Baker Mayfield's going to be there playing, you know, extensive action. His first start, even though it's a preseason game, this is his first NFL start. So that's really what to kind of get excited about. Everything else is guys fighting for those last four or five roster spots. Yeah, it really, to me, that that's all that's worth talking about this preseason game. Um, look, last week we talked a fair amount about Nate Orchard and kind of his battle with Carl Nassib, and you, at this point it looks like Nassib has the, the head up on that. You've, you've got um, Kajust, like we mentioned. He's one of these guys. Hard Knocks painted it like Brogan Roback is one of those guys, which I don't know if that's the case. Um, they mentioned Antonio Callaway as, as being at risk of a cut, which is, is I certainly don't think is the case, Nate. But, you know, beyond these guys that we've talked about, who who is really trying to cling on to a spot here that people should be watching? Well, Callaway's definitely on the team. That's ridiculous. That's right. Yeah, I thought that was weird on the show. Yeah, that, that was just trying to get people to tune in. Um, he's on the team. What were the other ones? Kajus is at the tight end. Okay, so that is an interesting battle right now because heading into this whole thing, meaning spring practices, training camp, this entire offseason, mm-hmm. after they signed Darren Fells to be like that blocking tight end, I thought that it was definitely, obviously, even Njoku is the number one tight end. Darren Fells and set the valve. I thought those were the three locks for the tight end position. Well, here we are heading into the preseason finale. Set the valve's hurt. He's going to have missed all four preseason games with a quad entry. Basically missed the entire training camp except for a couple days. So all of a sudden he's kind of, you know, he's in jeopardy. He's a bubble guy and it's fair to call him that. Kajust is there. Orson Charles is there, a guy who signed uh, recently, uh, you know, I think right before training camp, if I remember correctly. So, you know, could one of those guys bump set the valve out? Um, that is a legitimate question right now. I really don't know. I mean, he is a guy, let's face it, who was drafted by Sashi Brown. This is a new regime, and John Dorsey is always going to, you know, in a toss-up, side with the guy that he picked. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, he brought these other guys, Devin Kajus and Orson Charles, to this team. Obviously not draft picks, but he brought them here. And set the valve is a, a pick of the old regime who hasn't been able to get on the field. I personally think set the valve is a good football player. I think he's solid. Um, nothing flashy, nothing great, but I think he's solid and he's young. And, uh, he has dealt with several injuries in the past, but he's stayed on the field for the most part um, when the real games begin. I would keep him. If I'm filling out a projected 53, I think I'm going to go with the safe bet that he is going to be there. But I would not be shocked at all if he's not. Hmm. 
So wait, so if you're putting on your John Dorsey hat and you're chewing your gum and you're picking between DeValve and Kajust, you only want three tight ends on this roster. Is Kajust the fan favorite from Hard Knocks that ultimately gets cut? Yeah, I would pick DeValve. I think he's a, just I think he's a better player. Um, but you know, John Dorsey should know better than me. But I would pick DeValve. Sure. Um, What's interesting, Dan, is too, could they keep four? Because they, you know, I've seen many teams keep four tight ends, but here's another guy who hasn't been able to get on the field much. Danny Vitale, the fullback, has a calf injury. And we know in some of these offenses, Todd Haley has been known to do this. He's a tight end as a fullback at times. And so does he think like an Orson Charles can do what Danny Vitale could do? You know, you don't use a fullback a ton. Um, so would somebody like Orson Charles maybe be uh, selected for the 53 over Danny Vitale who's been dealing with that calf injury and really not been available much that's another thing to consider with this group yeah yeah, especially like in this fourth game if we see the Browns lining Charles up at fullback or something just to see what they have there Boy, that that that's an interesting point you make. I mean, that that's part of this process here, where you know we're at this point we're beyond talking about the obvious players here. We're talking about the guys who are making up the back half of the roster. Um, so, Nate, what other spots are there where there's this intrigue like this? Like I, I mentioned, Brogan Roback, he's not going to make the final fifty-three. My question about him, I guess, is if the Browns hold three quarterbacks, Tyrod Taylor, Baker Mayfield, and Drew Stanton, do they even keep Roback for the practice squad? You know, What do you think the situation is there? They're definitely keeping Taylor, Mayfield, and Stanton. They yes. are keeping those three. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Roback on the practice squad. I could see it. I think they like some things about him. But um, he's definitely not making the 53. We know that despite, you know, Hard Knocks wants to make you believe he has a chance. Um, let's talk about linebacker. This is fascinating. This is newsy. Yes. <laughs> we know that the Browns have Christian Kirksey, Joe Schober, and Jamie Collins coming back as their starters. We know they love Jannard Avery, the rookie fifth-round pick who they use really as kind of just a rush defensive end. We know they like James Burgess. Michael Kendricks, we know they like him. He's been really good for them. They signed him in June. He won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. Today, he was charged by the federal government for inside trading. He's admitted guilt in a statement that he released today. This is fascinating, Dan. I mean, because those six guys I just mentioned, I thought they were going to be on 53, make the team, even, you know, Kendricks. Basically, five of them were locks, and Burgess would have been the only uh, question. Now, does this Kendricks situation change that? I mean, if I'm the Browns, and I wasn't fully aware of the extent that this guy was being investigated by the feds, and he's charged with this, uh, you know, a crime that can land him in federal prison, um, and even if it doesn't, even if he gets away with, you know, uh, you know, a fine, a huge fine, something like that, um, you know, this is certainly uh, something that the NFL would discipline him for with the admission to guilt. So. It's a very complicated situation now. you got a guy who you think is a good player who could help you in a lot of ways. But, you know, you just signed him in June. Two months later, 
two months later, after you signed him, this happens. Right. Um, this was cut down weekend. I mean, it would be the perfect time for the Browns if they wanted to wash their hands of this to do so. If I'm John, John Dorsey's chair, I think that that's what I would do because I just don't see him being available. I mean, you sign him on a one-year contract, is a submission to guilt, and I don't know. I mean, do you try to hang on to him and hope that he can play uh, this season before anything, you know, comes down in the way of punishment um, by the league or, you know, you know, in terms of uh, legally what would happen, how that's going to play out. Um, but again, he's admitted admitted to, to being guilty here. So um, I think that it, it might make more sense just to, to uh, you know, say, hey, this is a situation that we were not aware of and, you know, your availability is in doubt now, so we're, we're moving on. Mm. We're going to maybe claim another linebacker on, on Sunday at noon. Yeah, that that's tough. I, look, Michael Kendricks is obviously a talented player, and I think he's been a pretty solid player in his career. I can't recall any other player ever admitting to being guilty of insider trading and what the NFL's suspension policy for that is, unless it just falls under the general conduct policy, but that you make a good point. This is a guy on, on a one-year deal, um, but we'll see. For, for everybody listening, we're recording this basically about an hour after all this news about Michael Kendricks came out, so we don't know exactly what's going to happen here. Um, right. But, but I can't say that without, and I'm not a lawyer, so I'll preface it with that, but admitting admitting guilt to uh, right. a federal crime like this is going to fall under conduct detrimental to the league. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a tough one. Um, you mentioned that the Browns could, if they do ultimately cut him, maybe just wait and see what other linebackers come out on the open market. Is that? Do you think that's more likely than that open position kind of going somewhere else on the roster? You know, we we talked just a minute ago about um, four tight ends instead of three. Do you think they would want six linebackers? Do you think you could buy with five linebackers? What is your impression there? Well, five might be enough because they really play Jabril Peppers as nickel linebacker. Yeah. Greg Williams explained that the other day. So although Jabril Peppers and Derek Kindred are strong safeties, they play different kinds of strong safeties. Uh, Peppers plays what they call in Greg's scheme – a, a, a nickel linebacker and, and, and Kendricks plays it in the box safety, which they're both strong safeties, but different roles within mm. that, under that strong safety umbrella, if that makes any sense. Yep. So that could be a thing. I, you know, DJ Bellow is a, is a young guy who's third on the depth chart. He's listed behind Kendricks at Sam on the Browns unofficial chart. You know, I don't know if somebody like that could hang around uh, if, if Kendricks is let go, but. We know Kendricks is not traveling tonight. He wasn't going to play anyway. Um, Or maybe he would have played. Um, I don't know. Hugh's not playing the starters except for the ones we mentioned earlier. Kendricks technically isn't a starter. He and Avery have sprinkled in with the first-team defense plenty. So, um, you know, maybe he would have actually played in the finale against Detroit uh, Thursday night, but he's not traveling now because of this Hmm. situation. 
Nate, I know we're kind of crunched for time here today, and if anybody is hearing background noise, Nate is giving us his time while he's waiting at the car dealership getting his oil changed. So uh, we are tight for time, so I, I want to cut it off here pretty soon. If you had to guess right now, Nate Orchard, on the roster or off the roster? Off. Okay, if you had to guess right now, these backup wide receivers, C.J. Board, Damian Ratley, Derek Willies, those type of players. Throw Jeff Janis in there. Who do you think makes the, the roster out of those guys, if any? Yeah, I think some of those guys do. I'll, I'll give you six receivers. Sure. I'll project um, Jarvis Landry and Josh Gordon making the team, with Antonio Callaway and Rashard Higgins. Those are pretty easy picks. Yep. Um, Damian Ratley, he's going to make the team. Made some plays in camp. In preseason, he's a sixth-round pick. Um, John Dorsey's going to favor his draft picks. And then it comes down to who's going to be that uh, sixth guy, and that's where it does get interesting because I thought all along it was going to be Jeff Janis, not because of him as a receiver per se, but because of him as a special teams player who spent the past four years with the Packers, a guy that um, you know, John Dorsey's right-hand men, Alonzo Highsmith and Ellie Wolf know well, um, the guy they signed in March. So I thought it made a lot of sense, but tell you what, he's not had a good camp or preseason as a receiver. Maybe he makes it because of just as a special teamer. You know, who knows? Maybe they really have in their mind we're going to keep, keep six wide receivers, and Hugh Jackson has said six is a good number at receiver. Maybe they think, well, Janus isn't, we're really not counting him as a receiver, so he's really a special teams ace, and so maybe they actually technically would keep seven receivers. Uh, I don't know. It might get a little tough with the number crunching if he did that, but, you know, I, I wouldn't totally rule it out. I think they like Derek Willies. Uh, he's got good size. Uh, he's made plays, you know. Uh, he's shown up out there. Um, so I think out of that kind of lower tier of guys who could make it over Jeff Janis, you know, when you're talking about, you know, C.J. Board, Damari Scott, and Derek Willies, and Blake Jackson. Right. I would lean Derek Willies out of that group. Hmm. And certainly if not, I, I think he could be a practice squad player for them. Um, and we kind of blew past the Nate Orchard, and we don't have to belabor this, but I'll just say if the Browns do get rid of Nate Orchard, I, I don't think he'll be on the street for very long. No, former second-round pick. Right. Um, I think he can play, but it's going to come down to this. You know, you got Miles Garrett and Emmanuel Aquas, your starting defensive end. You signed Chris Smith. You drafted um, Chad Thomas. Chad Thomas in the third round. So there's four right there. Yep. If you're going to stretch it and keep five, I think they're keeping Carl Nassib over Nate Orchard. They both could get cut, honestly, but I kind of think Carl's going to make the team. Orchard, I mean, even on hard knocks. You know, you can't you got to take some of the stuff with a grain of salt. But Hugh Jackson walked by Car uh, Nate Orchard. This is one of the good liners in last night's episode, uh, episode four. He walks by Nate Orchard as he's stretching on the field, and he said, "You all right, Nate? You praying? You should be." <laughs> that that was that was Larry David levels of uncomfortable for me. To be honest with you. Oh, I feel so bad for Nate Orchard, who just seems like the best guy. Yeah, and it's heart-wrenching because they have this kid, you know, beautiful right. family, a couple daughters, a baby son. 
and he's always playing with them after practice. And right. just, you know, you feel so bad that, you know, this guy could lose his job here, but, you know, I think he's going to land on his feet somewhere. And, uh, you know, I, like you, he, I, I think he is a good guy, and I wish him all the best. Uh, you know, I just don't think it's going to work out on the team. I agree. Um, last thing, Nate, and we'll, we'll let you go here. You mentioned the Browns could be looking at linebackers to see who gets cut if they make a move on Michael Kendricks here. And, again, we don't know if they will or not, but if you had to say one other position group that they'll be watching closely on Saturday to see who gets cut, what would you think it would be, if any? Oh, off, offensive line for sure, because after the starting five, I think that they're not thrilled with anyone except for Desmond Harrison. I think he's a lot to make the team. Undrafted, rookie, missed some time in camp with injury, but has uh, come back here lately, and I think they think he has the potential to be their left tackle of the future. Right now he's the backup to Joel Batonio. Um, but I don't think they're thrilled with Sean Coleman. He could get cut after starting camp as the as the starting left tackle. I mean, he's all the way down to third team right tackle now. When uh, Chris Hubbard got banged up the other day um, against the Eagles, um, Greg Robinson went in at right tackle for the that series, and then Hubbard returned. But yeah, I think offensive line is definitely something they're going to address on Sunday. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they pick up a backup center. And it, you know, I've been talking a lot about tackles, but I can see them picking up a backup center. J.C. Treader has an injury history. That's their starting center, and uh, I don't get a sense that they're thrilled with Austin Ryder as the backup center. So I think you could see that. I think if I had to pick, you know, who else could make it out of those backup linemen uh, other than uh, Desmond Harrison, who I think is definitely going to make the team. Maybe Spencer Drango. Uh, he's got a lot of time in camp. He obviously can play guard or or uh, tackle, and and both sides of the line he's done. So he's got a lot of flexibility. Um, so I think maybe Drango could make it, but definitely Harrison and the starters. And uh, yeah, Coleman could be a a cut, which. Considering, like I said, where he started camp, that's quite a fall. It really is. Um, so, Nate, do you have anything else this week before we get out of here? Gosh, so much happens with this team yeah. day in, day out. Plus, there's hard knocks going on. Cuts are coming up. I'm sure there's a million things. But as you said, Dan, I'm at a Honda dealership right now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> nothing is inspiring me to to keep going on this but uh, I do want to thank everyone who's listening and put up with any background noises there might have been yeah there there was a little but it's all right Nate thanks for joining us as always make sure you find all of Nate's stuff over at ohio.com slash browns you can also find the work of our colleague Steve Dowershuk from the Canton Repository there and like I said George Thomas's Hard Knocks live blogging if you missed any of that and George does a lot of video stuff for us too which some people might not know about so Check all of that out. Again, it's ohio.com slash browns. Nate is on Twitter at by Nate Ulrich. So make sure to check him out there and follow him for the latest news and information about the Browns. But that's going to do it for our podcast this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will talk to you next time.